Calvary. Glad that you are here with us, those of you that are on our campus, and glad for all of you that are joining with us online today. You're here at a great time. We are kicking off the month of August. Can you believe it's August? Man, alive. Where's it going? Just flying. It's already August. We are kicking off the month of August with a new series called One Thing. Say that together with me. Ready? One thing. One thing. We, we live in a very uh, pluralistic society. We live in a very multitasking society, right? I mean, if you're not doing more than one thing at one time, uh, people kind of look down their nose at you, right? Um, and unfortunately, it's, it's probably harder for us guys. I mean, we can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, ladies seem to do better at multitasking, but it's being asked of everyone in society. Always supposed to be doing about a million things at one time. And, and seemingly, as hopefully, prayerfully, we begin, even though two steps forward, one step back, it seems like, moving towards a bit of normalcy, does the frenetic pace of life begin to pick up again? And all of a sudden, we find ourselves doing so many things. In fact, I, I read this the other day. Some of you will get it right away. Some of you, it'll be dinner, but you'll pick up on it. It says, I saw a guy at Starbucks today, no phone, no tablet, no laptop. He just sat there drinking his coffee like a psychopath. <clears throat> That's the world we live in, right? If a guy goes to a coffee shop to, wait for it, drink coffee, we're like, what's wrong with him? You don't go to a coffee shop to drink coffee. You go there to do all these other things. Plug in your laptop. Plug in your, your iPad. Get your phone out. You can be doing all three things on all three little convenient uh, apparatuses there while drinking your coffee. Somebody that just goes there to drink coffee, come on, what's wrong? We are so multitask-oriented. Is it possible that we let some of the one things that are most important slip by? They can slip right under the radar while we get so busy keeping our fingers in so many pies. The more pies we have our fingers in, the better off we think we are, more successful, more purpose-driven, yet we're going to find through Scripture, as we look at this series in the next few weeks, that there are some one things that we need to concentrate on. There, there are certain one things that we need to find as a part and a priority in our life. How often have you heard the instruction given one at a time, please, right? Uh, back in school, that used to be the deal. One at a time, one at a time, right? Teacher saying, now do you have any questions? Everybody's hand goes up or everybody starts blurting something out, right? One at a time, one at a time. Why? Because if we don't go one at a time, nobody's going to make any sense. We're not going to hear anything. Nobody's question is going to get answered. You got to go one at a time. Mom calls everybody in for dinner. You ever hear that from your mother? One at a time. One at a time. One at a time is definitely a phrase you hear at camp. Just got back from there this past Thursday evening. They've had a, a great few weeks, but man, when it's time to eat, it doesn't matter whether they're kids or young people, boom, they are all ready to go and running in line. It's as if they don't get to the front, they're going to miss out. Well, if I'm back here, I won't get any. No, no, we got plenty. One at a time, one at a time. I got to tell you this story, Okay. And some of you are visitors, and so you, you might not even be aware of who Pastor Jack is. But Pastor Jack is with us this morning, so i gotta, I got to share this story. This was a story that happened at camp, and, and Pastor Jack was our athletic director one summer. And, and that summer for junior camp, we had a guy by the name of Captain Hook, okay? Now, 
However you imagine Captain Hook, that's basically what we had, okay? This guy came as Captain Hook, and he had a real hook for an arm and a peg leg, okay? And, and, and he was, you know, I mean, he was like 350 bills. I mean, he was a big guy and always wore the pirate gear. He looked just like a pirate. His name was Captain Hook, and he was at our junior camp. He was an awesome guy for kids. And uh, the whole week, you know, he was talking about uh, God and how he defeats, you know, the bad pirates and all that kind of thing. And on the last night of camp, all the kids go down to the beach, and he had the staff kind of dress up as pirates, and these were the bad pirates, and they came out of the lagoon in these canoes with torches, okay? I mean, it was the real deal. And they come storming the beach, you know, and Captain Hook and all the kids defeat the bad pirates with the help of God, right? It's awesome. And now there's a prize, and there's this treasure chest of candy that was at the top of the hill for the kids because they had, you know, defeated the devil and all his bad pirates. Go get your candy. Well, Jack was in charge of the treasure chest of candy. And all of a sudden, here come like a hundred kids, right? And it's not like they all lined up and said, oh, you first. No, no. They are running that treasure chest. They're reaching in there, grabbing stuff. And finally, Jack's like, you lot rotten kids, get out of here. Some kid chipped his tooth. It was hilariously funny. <laughs> and forgive me, but I remember me and another member of our staff, Jerry, Jerry Collins. I'm sorry, Jack, to tell you that. But uh, we were down on the hill just watching Jack have quite a time trying to separate one at a time, one at a time. Oh, they were all diving in for the candy. Sometimes we need to take things one at a time, even in our multitasking culture and society. One at a time. And there's some things in God's Word where it says one thing is of utmost importance. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about those one things. One is singular. One is specific. One is separate. One is on its own. It's the first primary number, right? And one signifies importance, prominence, priority. For instance, have any of you ever seen a college basketball game? Have any of you ever seen a football game in a football stadium where people were crowding around yelling and cheering, we're number two? No. Nobody yells that. It's all, we're number one. And of course, the great thing is when somebody makes a tackle, you know, and they're behind 49 to nothing, and they stand up and go like this. Yeah, that's number one. No. Anyways, one is the prominent number. Number one. And there are some ones in God's word that need our priority. There are some one things in God's Word that we need to stop and ask ourselves, is this an important part of my life? Am I living this out? Or am I so busy multitasking, and even to a certain extent multitasking for God, that I'm letting these one things slide? There are some scriptures that give to us God saying to us, you have to place value on this. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about one thing I ask, one thing you lack, one thing is necessary, one thing I know, one thing I do. And the importance of these one things can be built on the foundation that we're going to look at this morning. And so I want you to take your Bible, if you've got it, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 
And this is a New Testament passage. If you're with us online, it's your first time, there is actually a Bible tab on your screen. You can hit that and go right to Ephesians, and it'll take you to that book, and then you click on chapter 4 and follow right along with us. But I encourage you to follow along, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start looking at verse 4. Ephesians is an interesting book, and Ephesus is an interesting church. It's one of the first churches that Paul the Apostle established. It's a little Greek, Grecian city church, and it had some incredible heritage. Paul, of course, was the planter and the pastor, and then the apostle John, we find out, was also a pastor at the church of Ephesus, and then after him came a guy named Timothy, who was Paul's spiritual son. He was the pastor of Ephesus, but by the time you get to the book of Revelation, okay, Revelation, last book in the New Testament, last book in the Bible, last book written, and John is writing this, and before Jesus ever gets to the revelation of what will be and the things to look for in the end times, so to speak. He says, I've got a letter for each of the seven churches that are in existence right now. And he writes to the church of Ephesus. And in that passage, in Revelation chapter 3, he says, you have lost your first love. You need to get back to doing what you used to do. Otherwise, and forgive me, this is a Billy Walker paraphrase, otherwise, I'm going to snuff out your light. I, I, don't, I don't need you. I don't need you. I, I need you to get back to what you used to be. Back to an understanding, possibly, of what Paul wrote in chapter 4. Notice how many times one is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. We start in verse 4. For there is one body and one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, at first you would read that and say, what in the world are they talking about? This is prophecy from the Old Testament. When he ascended, he took those who were captive in their sin, and he ascends with them and he gives to those who put their faith and trust in him a gift. He gave to each believer, each follower, every person who's put their faith and trust in Christ has a spiritual gift. And what makes it spiritual is that God has given it to each person to be used for his glory, to be used in his work, to be used for his church, to be used to help bring other people to him. Notice that it says he ascended, verse 9. This clearly means that Christ also descended into our lonely world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue 
until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Notice how many times one is used in that passage, especially at the beginning. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, many communion tables. In fact, our own has that across the front of it. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of us all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. One, 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 one. This is the foundation on which these priorities that we will look at in the next few weeks is built. One God, one Father, one Lord, one baptism, one hope. And so I want to give you three things today that this passage of Scripture covers that we build on for the next few weeks. And here's the first one. One way. One way. Say that together with me. Ready? One way. One way. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth and the life. We were headed up north last weekend. Usually, when we head up to the camp on Sundays, that is the best time to go because all y'all are heading south from being up north, okay? And so it's really fun just to drive by and wave as, you know, the line continues to build <laughs> basically from Flint to Grayling of just stop and go traffic. And so you can just kind of fly. Well, we had our little GPS thing on and, uh, and, and actually it said, uh, get off at exit 164. And, and it took us off of I-75 and I could not understand why in the world, but I thought, you know what, let's follow it. And so we followed it, sure enough, it took us on a little side street and then down to this other road that took us north about six or seven miles, came back up, and we missed a whole line of construction and traffic that had been in there because we were following the way that it said to go. If I'd have followed my own pattern, if I'd have just listened to my own self, I'd have just stayed on there and I would have been struck in the traffic that I was making fun of coming south. But because I listened and obeyed the directions. That's what saved me. Listen, Jesus came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you will follow my direction, if you will believe what I'm saying, that is what will save you. One way, and it's Jesus. You don't have to buy into that. But, but here's the problem. You've either got to go with that Jesus is who he says he is. You've got to go with the fact that he is the son of God or he is the greatest lunatic known to man. Because no one would claim the things that Jesus claimed unless he was who he says he was. And he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Just... Forget the heart for a minute. 
We talk about that a lot, and it's important, and we'll get to it. But just from the standpoint of head knowledge, think about this claim, and why should people believe that? Well, let me give you a couple reasons. Within three years, within three years, one man who traveled less than 100 miles in all of his ministry had made such a radical difference that a movement had started. A movement that would span two millennia and, and now would encompass billions of people this weekend worshiping around his name. He started that. A historical calendar would be forever changed. Think about that. Now they can go ahead and try to change it up a little bit. You know, well, we've changed the name of it. Yeah, oh, I get that. You don't want to mention his name. But let's be honest. For most of our lives, it was B.C., before Christ, and A.D., after death. Only one person pulled that off. That was Jesus. Within 30 years, within 30 years, a, a, a group of his closest followers, 11 guys, who seemingly, when you read the New Testament, he had to keep pounding the same message into. 11 guys who, when he was arrested, they fled. They took off. They were scared. 11 guys who found themselves huddled up in a room with the blinds drawn, the windows locked, the door barred. Within just a few years, they had left that room and basically encompassed most of the Roman Empire with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they walked bravely and courageously to their deaths. And all they had to do was say, okay, okay, it's a joke, it's a hoax. They couldn't. They couldn't. Within 300 years, are you ready for this? Within 300 years, the same government controlling agency that had put him to death, the Roman Empire, had declared that Christianity was now the religion of all people. Who pulled that off? One guy, Jesus. And that's just history. A guy by the name of Saul would have an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus and he would go from being a church persecutor to being a church planter and pastor and he'd take the gospel all throughout Europe. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except by me. One way. One way. The Bible, not just God's Son, God's Word, the only inspired and infallible Word of God. Historians agree to the authenticity of the New and the Old Testament writings. And contrary to popular belief, transmission of the text was completed with 99.99% accuracy and precision. Conclusive evidence for the infallibility of the Bible includes bibliographical, historical, and 
archaeological findings and confirmation. Just a short time ago, they discovered what they believed to be the ruined city of Jericho. And most of the ruins they found seemed to be smashed to pieces. But in their findings, seemingly, they found one part of the outer wall, one room, as it were, that was for the most part intact, which wouldn't make any sense unless you've read the Old Testament. And then you realize that the part they're probably talking about is the part where a lady by the name of Rahab lived. And God's word said she and her household would be saved. The Bible's harmony of unity, 66 books written over the span of 1,500 years by 40 authors on three different continents, and yet all of them point to one person, the man Jesus Christ. I wish that I could take you through. <clears throat> I remember when Dad used to walk through every book of the Bible when we were doing that cantata, God with us, and it would start in Genesis in just the one sentence that each book provided, pointing people to Christ, until it got to Revelation, and he was the coming Messiah, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, and you realize that through all of the Bible, through all of God's Word, from Old Testament to New, the thread that is woven is the man, the way, the truth, the life, Jesus. 330 specific prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus came true, and it's historical fact, and they were fulfilled with 100% accuracy. God spoke to those Old Testament prophets and revealed history in advance because God is outside of time. He is the author of Christianity and salvation. The God of the Bible is eternal and triune. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. He is the creator and sustainer of all life, creating us to enjoy a relationship with himself and sending his only Son to redeem us. It cannot be true that all roads lead to God because there is no other religion no other belief that loves people so perfectly amidst their imperfections and proves that love so sacrificially. Not all roads lead to God. In fact, many of the various religion traditions, their messages contradict each other. Either none of them or one of them is true. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to claim that what he said is truth. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other man, no other way, no other possibility, no other religion. It's just through Jesus Christ and him alone. Acts would share with us in chapter 4, verse 11, for Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. 
God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. And Paul would say in the book of Philippians that someday, someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. One way, one way, one way. And sometimes people would say, well, that's not love. If you really only, no, <laughs> it is love. It's incredible love because there is no other belief system. There is no other religion where someone would come and sacrifice their life on behalf of mankind. Only one. And it was Jesus. And that is historical fact. The historical fact that he not only died, but that he was seen after his death. And Paul says he was seen by a few. He was seen by his disciples numerous times. He was seen by crowds of up to 500 people. He was seen by the brother, half-brother, who wanted to have him committed. James. And James would say, in his mercy, <laughs> he came and showed himself to me. In his mercy, I was able to believe that he was. And they would take James up and say, all you got to do is say, nope, 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 he's just normal. I'm sorry. James said, I can't do it. And it cost him his life, as it would cost every disciple their lives. Why? Because there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved the name Jesus. One way. One way. Can I give you another one? There's one weight lifter. One weight lifter. Do they have weight lifting in the Summer Olympics? Is that a Summer Olympics thing? I, I haven't seen that. I mean, they concentrate a lot on the gymnastics and the track and the pool, and so I haven't seen. But weightlifting, boy, they got a lot of countries, a lot of people who represent it. Can I tell you something? There's only one that can lift the burden that you and I bear. There is a movie that was put out a number of years ago now. It's called The Mission. In The Mission, Robert De Niro is the star, and he is a mercenary that takes refuge in a church because in a jealous fit of rage, he has killed his brother. The church cannot keep him. So he decides to head to South America. There's a mission down there, and he'll be able to take refuge. He makes his way down to South America jungle, this mission outpost that the church has referred him to. And even though he has sought forgiveness, and even though he has talked to the priest, and even though he has talked to God, he is still carrying around this tremendous burden on the inside, and he decides to live that out on the outside. And so he takes a bunch of things that represent his terrible past and he bundles hundreds of pounds of these items in a net and he ties it around himself and he carries that with him everywhere that he goes in penance for what he's done for the sins that he's committed. 
he must always walk around with this burden tethered to him. At one point, he finds himself underneath the waterfalls, and endeavoring to be refreshed, he slips and falls. And when he goes under, the weight of all that he is carrying with him buries him under the water and continues to keep him down. And in fact, the rope begins to entangle itself around him and choke the very life out of him. And it takes everything that he has to be able to get to the shore because he continually carries around the burden of his sin. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, being encompassed about with such a great crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on, who is it? Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. The author of Hebrews says, Lay aside the weight. Get rid of the burden. Cut yourself loose from everything you are carrying around with you, especially the sin that can so easily entangle you and so easily trip you up. How do we do that? By focusing on Jesus. The only one who can lift the weight from us and remove the burden that we bear. We focus on Jesus. Lay aside the weight. Lay aside the sin. Focus on one and one alone. In the Old Testament, oftentimes the Israelites were told through Moses, through Joshua, don't look to the right, don't look to the left. Obey my word. Obey my commandments. Look to me. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews, we have the opportunity to look to the one who gave his life. It says, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was on the other side, he endured the cross. Do you know what that joy was? <clears throat> relationship with you. You were part of the joy that was on the other side of Calvary's cross. And because of that, he endured that cross for what would happen on the other side. There is a, a sketch that used to run a long time ago on Saturday Night Live. It was called Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy, okay? I don't know how many of you remember that, but uh, Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. I, I loved it. I think the guy, I think it was Phil Hartman who used to read it. And, uh, and it would, you know, there would be this lovely 
melodic music and a beautiful tranquil scene and then Phil Hartman's voice would come across and read something again you know in a very uh, melodic tone and very you know soothing and that kind of thing but when he got done saying what he said you realized what was that that just made absolutely no sense and there was one though that that he had and and it actually it actually makes sense in context of what we're talking about. This, this is it, okay? Now, I don't have the music behind it, but there it is, deep thoughts, okay? There's, there's the screen. That's what would be on, on your TV. So this is what he said, deep thoughts with Jack Handy. There used to be this bully who would demand my lunch money every day. Since I was smaller, I would give it to him. Then I decided to fight back. I started taking karate lessons. But then the karate lesson guy said I had to start paying him $5 a lesson. So I just went back to paying the bully. <laughs> Deep thoughts with Jack Handy. <laughs> I love it too, the karate lesson guy. That's how he refers to, you know. <clears throat> it was cheaper to pay the bully. Listen, sometimes you're like, to do with anything? Nothing, I just wanted you to do. No, here it is. Sometimes it seems to us that it's cheaper, it's easier just to carry around the burden. I'll just carry it with me everywhere I go. It's, it's what it is. I mean, it's just, and, and it's almost like, you know what, I, I'd rather just, I know what I've got with the burden that I've got to take with me, so I'll just carry that with me. And Jesus is like, no. No, no, no. Look, for what was on the other side of Calvary, I endured the cross. And, and, and if you will just endure a little longer, there is something, he says, on the other side. And the only one that can promise that is Jesus himself. And the only one that can deliver that is the one who we have to put our focus on. He says that he was the initiator, the author, and the finisher of our faith. We just have to take care of the middle part. The weight lifter. And the weight that he lifts is the weight that you carry. Only one person can do that. Only one. And his name is Jesus. One more. One more. Actually, This has nothing to do with the message, but I found one more deep thought from Jack Handy, and I thought I would share it with you because I thought it was pretty funny. So here it is, ready? Is that still up there? Yes, deep thoughts with Jack Handy. To me, boxing is like ballet, except there's no music, no choreography, and the dancers are trying to hit each other. <laughs> oh, I don't know why I thought that was funny, but anyways, that's like a ballet I would go see, okay? I'm just throwing that out there. Has nothing to do with the message, Alan. I'm sorry. All right, we get back to it. Here's point number three. Here's, we're going to zero in on this and we're done, all right? One way, the way Jesus Christ. One weightlifter, the one who can lift the burden from you. One work. One work. In that passage that we opened with in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, this is what, this is what he said. Now, these are the gifts of Christ that he gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to, hold it right there, 
How would you finish that sentence? Their responsibility is to win the world for Jesus. Right? That's the way most of the church thinks. Whoever's up there, it's their job to tell people about Jesus. And to a certain extent, you're right. And we do want to preach Jesus and him crucified and risen again. And we want to give people the opportunity. But it's interesting what Paul says here. He says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. And build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I don't think any sane person can look at that and say, well, we're there. (laughs) It doesn't need to continue because we've reached unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, and we're all very mature, and we all measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. No. I think it's pretty obvious we haven't hit that yet. We haven't reached that point. When will we reach that point? Paul says in another passage in the New Testament that when we see him, we will be like him. So therefore, until that time comes, we're supposed to be about the work of building up the body of Christ, building up the kingdom of God, building up his church. And listen, I I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but that's you. That's you. And I'd be kind of crazy to stand up here and tell you that it's only the people who are up on the platform that have a responsibility for that. Nope. You want to know why? Because if any of you have ever been part of like a, a network marketing thing, uh, Amway or, or anything like that, you know that they oftentimes talk about a sphere of influence, right? They just want you to sell Amway products to your sphere of influence. Because you've got one. We all do. Well, well, here's the deal. I think Jesus was the first network marketer. Because Jesus told his disciples, he said, I, I want you to go out and I want you to share what you've seen, what you've learned, what you've heard with your sphere of influence. And, and then they'll share it with theirs. And then they'll share it with, and so on and so on. And all of a sudden, your network gets pretty big. Why? Because everybody is reaching out to the people that are within their reach and and I fear that especially in the United States we have somehow fallen under the spell that well you know what I mean maybe I'm right maybe I'm wrong everybody gets to God nope no 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 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I I know we can look at that statement and say, man, alive, that's that's a pretty strong statement. 
There's not a lot of love in that statement. I mean, how can God love the world if, if there's only... <laughs> there's so much love in that statement, you and I can't even begin to fathom it. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So much love that God sent his son. God wrapped himself in flesh and allowed himself to be crucified, to die so that you and I wouldn't have to. When they nailed him to Calvary's cross, they were nailing with him our sin, our guilt, our past, our burden. And all we have to do is come to him. And that's the work that he invites us to be a part of. And I want to encourage you, as we head through this month of August, and as we begin to look towards the fall, you can't help it, right? I mean, training camps are opening up, Jeremy, and football's being played, and kids are coming back from sports camp and heading into band camp and getting ready. We head into fall. We've got an enormous opportunity to make an impact on people. And God has given us a great facility, but he hasn't just given it to us for our use, for our enjoyment. He has given it to us so that we can make an impact for him. Don't you think it's possible that there are people in your neighborhood in your lives, maybe even in your family. And they don't have it attached, but seemingly they're walking through life like Robert De Niro. Such a burden. And they don't know that Jesus came to lift that burden from them. We have the opportunity to make that difference. And I hope that you'll consider not just coming Oh, I want you to come, but I hope you'll consider as we begin to ramp up, what's the part that I can play? How can I get involved? We, we need people in all facets of ministry as we begin to ramp things up. We need people involved in children's ministry. We need people involved in the, the nursery. We've got a beautiful nursery. We need people who say, you know what? I'll give up a service. The truth is you don't even have to give up a Sunday. You could give up a service and still attend one of the others. But you'd be willing to say, yeah, you know what, that's me. We need people in the common grounds, coffee shop. Now, I know some people think the common grounds was done just so the pastor would have a place to get coffee. No, that is not true. Now, the cooler with Coke in it, yes, that's, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> All of that. It's awesome that we can enjoy it. But you know what I love? I love bringing new people in and you walk them down and you show them the auditorium and then you turn the corner they're like, wow, what's that? That's to show you that we care about you, that God loves you before you ever hear about it in a song or a sermon on Sunday. We have greeters at the door to show you and to share with you that God loves you and so do we before you ever hear about it in a sermon or a song on Sunday. There's so many opportunities. I want you to be thinking, hey man, how can I plug in? Is it work? Yeah. It takes a little bit of effort. 
takes a little bit of effort. And, and you want to know something? Part of our problem is, how am I doing here? I'm doing all right. I just want to make sure I get you out on time. Part of our problem is we kind of look at life linear, right? The more that our life is like this, just a straight line with no blips, the better it is, huh? We want everything. That's, that's just life. You want to know something? Ask somebody medical. What's that mean? You don't want a flat line, okay? They know what that means. You're out. You're done. You're dead. Sometimes that's our faith, isn't it? Just kind of flat line. No. It's the ups and downs that make you necessary. It's the ups and downs where God can prove his faithfulness. It's the ups and downs that show you you're alive. And we want to share God's good news with people that need it. And you know somebody like that. Here, here's, here's a simple way before we ever even get to that. We've got these cards out on our information booth right as you leave. They're just very simple card. I mean, you can't get much simpler. It's got the name of the church, and on the back, it's our website. This allows people to kind of attach through our online ministry. They could see when our services are. You could just you could slip this card to your waiter or waitress today, your server. Say, hey, man, I just came from service. Thanks for serving me today. I want to leave this with you and leave a good tip when you do. <clears throat> You just give him this card. Who knows what God will do with it? Who knows how God will use it? But I guarantee you this. He wants to use you as part of his work. One work. His last words to his disciples, you know what they were, right? He gathered them together, and before he ascended heaven, he said, Guys, I want you to go. Go, go, go. Go and tell the world about me. Baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything you've learned and seen and heard. And then he said this to them. And hey, while you're there, don't forget. I'm with you always. I am with you always. That's good news. One way. One weight lifter one work that we can be a part of. We're going to build on this and talk about these priorities in the next few weeks. I hope you'll plan on being with us. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Maybe you are with us today. Maybe you're watching with us online. And, and you, if you were honest, you would have to say, <clears throat> there are times when you feel like Robert De Niro in that movie called The Mission. You, you are carrying around a load from your past, and you don't need to. Today, Jesus Christ can forgive you of that sin, come into your heart, give you a new heart, a new life. Paul says he, he'll make you a new creation. Your name written down in his reservation book of heaven. And if today that's the decision you want to make, then I want to encourage you to simply pray 
this prayer. There's, there's nothing special about the prayer. You can pray your own prayer. But Paul said in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from our sin. Saved from the burden of our past. Saved for all eternity. If you want to make that decision today, whether here with us or online, I simply want you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But just simply say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. You came for me. You died for me. You rose again. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. And save me. With our heads still bowed in prayer, if you prayed that prayer here on our campus, would you just quietly, quickly just slip up your hand and put it down? Just slip it up and put it down. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yep. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. If you're with us online, there's a tab that came up that says, today I accepted Christ. Would you just hit that tab? I may not know your name today, but God does. And you can rest assured that before an hour has passed, I'll be praying for you and the decision you just made. Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we could place our faith in one Lord, that we could have one faith. Thank you that you are one Father who rules over all and that your desire is to live in us and to even work through us. Amazing, Lord, you could have chosen so many other methods and ways and instead you said, you know what? I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my people. And you use us. Thank you for allowing us to be part of that. Lord, today I thank you for those who here on our campus raise their hand. And I thank you for those online, Lord, who today made that same decision. Father, I pray you do something tangible in their lives in the next few days to help them realize the significance of the decision they made here today. Oh, Lord, we thank you for it. And Lord, I thank you for all those who are here today. And I ask your blessing upon all of our lives as we endeavor to live with the priority of one, an audience of one, glorifying you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.